0: Hi, I'm Lou, the host of Love Me, a CBC original podcast about the messiness of human connection. The show features deeply personal stories, like a mother forced to press charges against her own son, a couple that falls in love through Google Translate, and a man whose father-in-law asks him to build his coffin. Subscribe to Love Me at cbc.ca slash loveme, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. The year is 1981. A young Robert Zemeckis and his longtime friend and collaborator, Bob Gale, are hard at work finishing a draft of a
0: new script. I am your density. I mean, destiny. Have you watched this music television thing?
1: No, Bob Zemeckis. It's me, Bob Gale. I haven't.
0: Well, don't worry, Bob Gale. You're not missing much. It's terrible. Get back to work. Uh, Back to work I go.
1: The stakes are high. The pair's last few films were commercial flops, but the head of Columbia Pictures is taking a chance on the two young filmmakers. Okay, what, what if the mad professor has, like, a pet, like a salamander or a little newt or something? Yes, yes. The premise is one Bob Gale conceived of after seeing his dad's old high school yearbook. And he sends him back as a test. Here we go, yes. Now we're cooking Popcorn. It's a tale of a teenager accidentally traveling back in time where he meets his parents, saves his inventor friend, and tries to find a way back to the present day. Sound
0: familiar? Yeah, it's Back to the Future.
1: And then, Marty kisses Lorraine. Oh,
0: yes. Technically, isn't that incest?
1: Well, yeah, but it, 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 she doesn't know. It's kind of a, like a farcical sort of situation. Okay. The working draft of Rob and Bob's script had a few differences from the movie we've come to love. For example, the quirky inventor Doc Brown used to be known as The Professor. There was a pet chimpanzee named Shemp, And maybe most notable, the protagonist, Marty McFly, travels back to the year 1955 in a refrigerator strapped to the back of a pickup truck. This version of the script gets passed on by Columbia Pictures.
0: This just isn't working for
1: me. And Disney.
0: The answer is no.
1: And other big-name production studios.
0: I'm sorry, guys, it's a pass.
1: For a total of 40 rejections. No, thanks. Not good.
2: No. No.
1: Get out of Hollywood. But eventually, Universal greenlights the project, but asks for some concepts of the script to be rewritten.
2: We love it. We just have a few changes.
1: Okay, well, we're happy to hear and we're open to ideas. I love notes. The professor becomes Doc, Shemp gets replaced by Einstein the dog, and of course the time travel fridge gets upgraded to a car. Specifically, Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? If you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Robin Bob's passion project goes on to win an Oscar and a Hugo Award. And today, Back to the Future is considered to be one of the best sci-fi films of all time. And it couldn't have happened without a few tweaks to the script. (music) Congrats, man. I mean, can you believe we almost made the time
0: machine a fridge? Yeah, so glad we changed that, but glad we kept the incest. Solid choice.
1: Stories like this one aren't uncommon in Hollywood. No matter how well thought out your project is, it's likely that you'll have to make some creative changes. So why am I telling you this? Because Maddie, Mark, and I have sent off a draft of our script, our baby, to a big, scary production executive for notes. Soon, we'll find out how many Fridge to DeLorean type changes we'll have to make. Or maybe she'll think it's so good she'll want to make it with us. Or maybe we'll have to rewrite the whole thing. Who knows? It's Let's Make a Sci-Fi. We're now seven weeks into writing a pilot for our earnest science fiction TV series. And with the first draft under our belt, we have less than a week before a group of actors settle into the studio for a table read. But before we commit the script to recorded history, just for safety, we set it off to a professional script reviewer, aka a TV executive. Now, Maddie, Mark, and I have never had the experience of sending something we wrote to the head of a production studio but we do know someone who has. Our good friend and fellow writer, Paul Bay. Oh, in the future, everyone's going to be wearing overalls.
2: That's, <laughs> I? That's a big part of sci-fi.
1: <laughs> you know how we want to have the pilot we're making in this podcast turn into a real TV series? Yeah, Paul is living that life already. Like us, he started his career in comedy.
3: Like, all my friends are married. Like, a couple of them are happy about it, right? But, you know, it's one of those things.
1: But Hollywood started paying attention because of his hit sci-fi podcasts, The Big Loop and The Black Tapes. I'm
2: just not sure I understand.
0: What is there to understand?
1: It's harassment.
3: Because of this podcast?
2: Yes.
1: Now he's an in-demand screenwriter selling shows to places like Amazon. But Paul's first experience with an executive was very different from ours.
3: Oh yeah, Uh, the first thing I ever sold, I guess I'm allowed to say it, was to Sci-Fi, NBC. So
1: Paul gets a meeting with a few bigwig TV execs. What he thought was a meet and greet. But once he tells his friend about the incoming meeting, that friend's eyes widen.
3: Dude, that's not a meeting. That's a, that's not a general meeting. That's a pitch. I'm like, what? He goes, how did they word it? And I show him the email and stuff. He goes, dude, that's a pitch meeting. He goes, when, when is it? And it was exactly 24 hours. He goes, well, we, we should hang, but you need to go home. At, you need to go to your hotel and start writing a pitch. I'm like, how do you pitch?
1: Lucky for Paul, his friend offered
3: a poignant bit of advice that would serve him well. And he just said, be yourself, man. They already like the stuff. Um, They know you have no TV experience. Just be yourself and do your best.
1: That's kind of hard to do, though, when you're sitting in a Hollywood production office and you spy a familiar face.
3: I remember that day because I was there... And uh, uh, William Shatner was there also in the waiting room. Oh right? my and god! With this, with this massive, ent- like his agents, they all wore a different color suit. Oh my! God. Right, like, like, like it looked like so he could more- tell them apart so He identify them. It, it, it felt like he felt like he was Maurice Day in the time. <laughs> right, and it's like it's, it was like he, it was weird. So I was, I was very intimidated. I'm like, I think I'm out of my depth here. And then they, I they get, I get called in, and I'm I'm already intimidated and and weirded out by the William Shatner sighting. Uh, it's like you know, it's, it's always off-putting, in a good way. Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, as he heads into his first big pitch meeting, with one night of prep, Paul is shaken by a near encounter with one of his idols. But he holds on to the advice his friend gave him, to just be genuine.
3: Anyways, I go in, and I'm like, okay, well, here's my pitch, and I took out my phone, and I started playing some music. Scary music, and I'm like, picture this, and, like, and I start <laughs> acting it out, and they have these smiles on their faces, and they're listening, and I, and I did it, and I, I realized how corny it was, and I, and I turned it off. I'm like, anyways, yeah. So you guys have heard it. I mean, that's how it goes, and then, and they're like, oh. And Next thing you know, they, a month later, they call me, we, you got a deal. Let's do this, wow. right? Wow. And then, uh, uh, and then I, maybe two years later, we were. I was laughing about. It. I was talking. I was like, guys, you remember how I pitched this? I go, it was so corny. That go, and they're like, we didn't think it was corny. We, we just love your enthusiasm. <laughs> Since then, whether it's meeting execs or
1: sitting down to get notes on a script, Paul keeps a genuine excitement for the work that's about to come. And that's the advice he gave us.
3: And that's something I learned that you guys can take because you're very authentic, all of you. So it's like they appreciate authenticity. Mm-hmm. If you don't know anything, just admit it, mm-hmm. but say, you know, we'll figure it out, you know, uh, uh, with, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it's As long as you're authentic, they they appreciate that. And if your ideas are strong and, you, and, they, and they see you believe in it. But just because you're authentic and charming doesn't mean
1: you won't have to rewrite your entire script. Paul's having to do that on a horror project
3: right now. I'm on my fourth draft right now. Uh, and I'm waiting for notes from the buyer on that one. But I remember the second draft was almost a page one rewrite. Right. Oh, like wow. I rewrote the whole, like 80% right. of it.
1: That's a lot of rewriting. Just think about how long it's taken to get this far. I feel like that big of a rewrite would be a huge blow, but there's no avoiding it now. We've already sent off the script to our executive, so let's learn our fate.
4: I'm Kerry Appleyard, I work for Boat Rocker Studios and I'm the SVP of Creative Affairs at Boat Rocker Studios Scripted.
1: Kerry makes a living by looking at scripts like ours and giving edit notes. And the feedback she's given has helped writers go on to win awards. Case in point, the Peabody Award-winning sci-fi thriller Orphan Black. She was the co-executive producer on that show.
4: We're clones.
2: We're someone's experiment, and they're killing us off. Is that helpful?
1: With her expertise, Carrie was kind enough to take a look at our script. Like, actually read it. All the while, keeping in mind the etiquette of giving constructive feedback
4: writers put their heart and soul onto the page and we have to be very um, cognizant of that and of course you have to in the notes process talk about what is working and what you might want to see more of as well and then I've had writers call that a shit sandwich <laughs> <laughs> if it's great at the beginning then it's filled with a load of um, you know criticisms and then it's a good wrap up then you don't want to do that.
1: We're comedians, we get very thick skin we will not say shit sandwich to you at all. <laughs> So, I guess, should we just kind of jump in? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Just quickly before we jump into Carrie's notes, you should know that we have changed the script since we shared it with Rain Wilson in episode six. We've toned down our comedy, especially on Cruiser 7. Kirby no longer works in water maintenance. We've put her in an even lower ranking job. And we've gotten rid of blue people. It was just one detail too many to have to explain. As promised, Carrie started with what she liked about our pilot.
4: I mean, I do think there's a, a really interesting idea and plot there. I think you've uh, introduced a lot of, you know, there's a central idea that can work for a, a long running series. I think there's, um, you know, I think there's a really good shape to the, the pilot too, you know, having the other ship crash. I'm
1: going to pause Carrie here to give you a bit of context. The ship crash she's talking about is ship B, now known as Cruiser 7, getting destroyed by ship A, progeny, at the end of the pilot script, thereby marooning the crew of Cruiser 7 on progeny. Make sense? Okay, now back to Carrie.
4: Ship crash, the motivating question of, like, you know, these people have been lied to, and then the way to get back home to Earth is gone. So there's a really big dramatic tension there that I think works really well. So everything I say take it in that context (laughs) i think it you know there's an you've set up an intriguing story with lots of great seeds of a mystery sown, um which again is what you need for a series and it hangs together quite well
1: after praising us she moved on to what we need to work on or in other words stuff she clearly hated
4: i would say that i would um spend some time just really talking about character and taking the time to kind of get to know the characters. Um, I felt that, you know, just so an audience will be invested in them and care about them because people come back for characters. And I think this is often the mistake that's made with sci-fi. I think you've done a lot of work to establish the world, um, but often I felt like I was being told those things and not shown those things.
1: Uh, Yeah. Okay. Heard that before. Too much time spent on world building. Not enough focus on characters. Okay. But we do get one more compliment, right? The whole sandwich thing? Good, bad, good, right?
0: How many years do you think it would take for our (laughs) script to become... popular (laughs) TV show. I think you have got some rewrites to do. Oh, oh, you think?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that was more of an open-faced shit sandwich. If we wanted to, we could dive into the feedback Carrie gave us and overhaul the entire pilot. But the clock is ticking. We've got just three days until we record our actors reading the script and a week until we share that table read with you. So how do we take all of the feedback Carrie gave us and quickly folded into our rewrites. Well, there's one rule she mentioned that stuck with us the most.
4: The show-don't-tell rule. The big no from Carrie was
2: show-don't-tell, which stings, for sure. Not gonna say it doesn't.
1: Yeah, no. Maddie's right. Hearing this kind of feedback, stings. If you've ever taken an introductory writing course, you may have heard about show-don't-tell. It's a golden rule in TV writing.
0: It means that Kirby shouldn't be like we are in a spaceship and we are traveling and we should take a camera and show the spaceship that it's traveling. Mm -hmm.
1: So more active scenes. Active scenes. The people, characters doing stuff that tells story and shows who they are. Yeah. As opposed to talking about it. Exposition is easier said than done though. Try it for yourself right now. How would you show, for example, that a passenger aboard ship A hates their assigned job without them just saying it outright? Oh, and keep in mind, you're on a tight deadline. And then if it's any good, please send it to us. How are we going to do this? Yeah, and we can't not do it because the actors are booked. They are coming in. They have their call times. (laughs) They have a map to the studio. There's there's
0: like a whole sheet Mm -hmm. with their information. So
1: there's no no more procrastination. We have to show it.
0: So we need to make some quick changes. Well, not quick changes. A lot of changes quickly. Okay.
2: We're going to have to pull an all-nighter.
0: After a couple coffees each,
1: Maddie, Mark, and I got to work on locking in Carrie's notes character by character. First up, our protagonist, Kirby. In our minds, Kirby is a creative, free thinker, and a bit of a social pariah. She's someone who would not be scared to blow the whistle on big news in her cult-like society, whether she can convince them all or not. But that's not coming across.
4: I wasn't quite taking away her position in the society and why she wasn't believed. I, I wonder if there's just a bit more to do around
0: that. How do we show she's not necessarily like total outcast though, right? Like she's just kind of like, she's re- regarded as a bit of a different thinker who's a little bit outside. Yeah. Well, but
2: she's kind of an outcast.
0: Maybe she's, is she she is an outcast. I think maybe there can
1: be a touch of outcast because like we toy around with it. She's be reassigned to lots of different, yeah, you know, yeah. things. So she's, she can't quite fit in anywhere. So I think that could be reflected in people around her, and mm-hmm. like that sort of ties into what Carrie's saying, Like, yeah. people can regard her. I think like a, a touch of outcast would be good.
0: So telling would be like she's sitting in the cafeteria and two other <laughs> characters are going, there's the outcast, Kirby. Speak not to her or her weird habits. I agree, mm-hmm. Crumthumpalon.
1: <laughs> Great name.
0: Once Mark broke the
1: seal on bad examples of exposition... The floodgates were open.
2: Maybe she comes up to a bunch of people sitting and there's no chair, and they go, oh, sorry, they don't get another chair for her.
1: Yeah. Maybe someone trips her walking down a hallway. Maybe it's, she's just in a high school movie. Yeah, she <laughs> gets
0: shoved in a locker. Yeah, maybe somebody died. ties her shoelaces together. Wait, 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 do they use shoelaces? Maybe it opens with a wedgie. That's good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe no one picks her for dodgeball.
0: Yeah, well, it could be a Sadie Hawkins dance. Do the undergarments they wear... Lend themselves to getting them again ladies? with
1: the undergarment question mark. We'll get <laughs> there when we so get there.
0: Curious, but
1: we eventually came around to real ideas for how to show Kirby's place in her society, but also to give her a bit more humanity. I think one way we can maybe address this is remember, we had way back when we had the nice idea of her either making or fixing toys for children, yes. On the ship, I think that that's something to play with and bring back. Like it shows her with another character, it shows a kid, it shows her sort of like stepping outside of her job, and that like you know, and that she cares for, and that she cares for people. Out
2: of all our brainstorming, that's the idea I always think about. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. oh, remember when she was making toys with little wires and stuff? I love that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. With our protagonist a little more dynamic, we have to do the same for our antagonist, Lee. Her cold, authoritative demeanor makes a great foil to Kirby. But we may have made her too evil just for the sake of being evil.
4: I think you could do more with her character. I think we could, without making her mustache choiling, just kind of really get to understand her as a character as well, because villains don't think they're the villain, right? So
0: right now, Lee, she's like, I don't care for... People, she, I think she actually says that like, they're all the oh, same, they're all they're the all same. same to me. The underlings
1: of her are the same yeah. for inspiration. We look to a famous humanized villain from the golden age of TV.
4: A couple months before this, these two wild ducks landed on my pool, it was amazing. They're from Canada or someplace, and it was maiden season
0: in The Sopranos. Tony Soprano, like, really cares for babies and animals, but he, you know, murders people, and he, he's clearly like just. You know, he's a psychopath. Like, we could focus on, you know, that type of aspect of her personality. Like, what is she, mm. how does she, how does her loving come out in kind of the weird ways that it, that it like that.
1: She's really nice to babies. Mm-hmm. And then maybe there's some animals on the ship. Maybe there's a duck that lands in her fucking pool or something. Yeah, in the pilot episode. <laughs> I feel like we could up the cult leader yes. aspect. So it's like a cult leader isn't like, yeah, doesn't know they're evil. They're doing what they think is right.
0: One of you said earlier that we need, like, promises of the cult leader, which I think is such a good... Like, what is, what is the Googled cult promise? I yeah, Googled what was you, do Maddie.
2: cult leaders... What's their vibe? Yeah. And they said the number one thing is they make grand promises. Yes. Mm. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to get rich. You're going to get famous. Yeah. And I, I don't think
0: that. we have that. No. Like, we have... We have, like, we're going to get to progeny, but we should, like, talk about why progeny is great. It's this, yeah. like, utopia. They're going to get there.
2: Well, ultimately, Lee is in the right because... She has to keep these people alive. Correct. She like has to keep these people working and alive and not get depressed and yeah, yeah. That's a big, that's a big thing. And
1: yeah, yeah. and healthy and like head. yeah, and, and like learning the the shit yeah. they need to learn. And I think
0: know. we can up the fact that she cares in some way about the people of the ship. Like she actually cares that they get there. Mm-hmm. Like they're like she needs to have some sort of like humanity or some drive that yeah, isn't we've just. We've always
1: said it's about the mission for her.
0: Like, yeah, I'm saying yeah, like yeah, but that's what makes her
1: a little bit crazed. Mm-hmm. It was a long brainstorming session, but luckily we came up with a good to-do list of changes to make to our script. We might not go with everything discussed, but before we wrapped up for the night, there was one thing left to do.
4: Hi, I'm Jessie Crookshank.
1: Jessie Crookshank.
4: I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. girl.
0: Let's phone a
4: friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show.
1: It's your show, girl.
4: New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it, Okay, that's enough.
2: We need a new title.
1: We need to have a title. We need to have a title for this show. Oh, my gosh. So we need to name it. We know what show we're writing. We've been putting off naming our sci-fi series for weeks now. That might have been a bad idea in retrospect because, as we quickly learned, naming a show is not a walk in the park. I mean, think of some of the best titles out there. Sci-fi or not. They get the essence of an entire series into one phrase. I like Law and Order. And it's a great title because it's exactly what the show is. Half the show is Law. Half the show is Order.
2: Friends. They they did it so on the nose. And you know what it's going to be about. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Star Wars. Yeah.
1: Star Trek. They're going through it. The-
2: they're trekking. Yeah, they're
1: trekking. Time Cop. Time Cop is a great title. A
0: guy player. who doesn't like watches. Those are all taken, unfortunately.
1: Otherwise, we totally would have used Star Trek. The Next Generation. Or Deep Space Nine. I don't care. But it gives us an idea of what makes a strong name. I think a title has to sound good and make you want to say it. Law and Order.
0: I want to say it right now. Law and Order.
1: That's what we want. Short, sweet, and fun to say. And if a good title makes you want to say it, then why not just brainstorm out loud?
2: Okay, let's go. All right.
1: Okay. Let's do it. Here we go. It was slow going at first. A few of the titles didn't really translate well when said out loud. Space Chase. Space Chase.
0: <laughs> Ray- space Race Chase. Space Chase Race.
1: What about the star star- Starborn? Starborn. Starborn.
0: Spaceborn. Spaceborn. The Spaceborn. Space space like Spaceborn. That's what born. we call The Spaceborn.
1: Yeah.
2: Something. There's again. something wrong with it. Yeah, yeah it, does does sound sounds porn. Great. Um, it sounds like space porn.
1: Yeah, it, does, <laughs> does it does sound like, sound like space, space porn. porn? <laughs> it does. Some weren't exactly original.
2: Space friends. Space friends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Generations.
2: Generations. That's the name a, of a
0: Star Trek. It's movie? a Star
1: Trek movie, but they don't own it. Generations. But we got into a rhythm, and the names really started to flow. Spaceships. Uh, Spaceships.
0: Generational ship flying through space. space. Born in space. space. Born in space.
1: Born in in space. Born in space space. space is not bad. Sounds like a Born Identity sequel. (laughs) (laughs) We've also toyed with Next Year in Proxima and also um, Progeny.
2: Born in the Void.
0: Born born in the Void. The Void. The Void. Born Born in in the Void void I I like. Mm -hmm. I like The Last Generation.
1: It sounds like The Next Generation too, which makes me happy.
0: Oh, does it sound too much like The Next Generation?
1: Again, Star Trek doesn't own the word Generation. Out of dozens of potential titles, we nailed down
0: three top picks. So we got Progeny, we've got Last Generation, and we've got Born in Space. And after a quick and confusing vote... I'm going to give it three... No, one point. One point, one point. One point. We picked a winner. Five, six, five. So it's Progeny. Okay. <laughs> Progeny. Progeny.
2: We've been calling it progeny. I can live with progeny.
0: Yeah.
1: Progeny's great. It's what it's about. Everyone, come, It's great.
0: Yeah, and it's so simple. Yeah. And the network can always come back and be like, we really love born in space. Yeah. Or space porn.
4: Yeah.
1: The <laughs> okay, we progeny. named it. We named the show. We named the it show. We named it show. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yay. All right. Progeny. You know, now that we've settled on a name for the show... More than any other part of this process, our little sci-fi series is starting to feel like a real thing. It's weird to think that a few months ago, we were just pitching half-baked ideas to each other.
0: Call this Goodbye Moon. So the asteroid hits the moon, and it destroys the moon. The wobble of the earth goes wonky, seasons get fucked up, the tides are no more, we don't have a moon. Um, (laughs) Since then... We built a whole world.
2: Probably the most spacious area on the ship would be the farming area. So maybe they all like bring little lawn chairs and hang out. And that's kind of a scene, you know?
0: (laughs) I love that they have lawn chairs. We wrote characters to get attached to. Kirby's like a kooky inventor.
2: Totally.
1: And we wrote a whole episode of those characters interacting with each other. With a few changes along the way, of course.
2: In my own act, everyone goes to bed three times. It's like... It's like...
1: (laughs) Sure, we got stuck sometimes. I mean, we spent way too long world building. You don't have a pitch. You've only... You've got a setting. We should have talked to Simon way earlier because we we spent a long time avoiding that question. But we really did it. We wrote a science fiction script for TV. Eight weeks have gone by. And I'm sitting in a recording booth, getting ready to present our passion project to you, a person who's actually invested in hearing what we made. How do I feel? The short and uninteresting answer is pretty good. I mean, it's hard to write and finish a script, any script of any genre or any length, let alone an hour long sci-fi epic, especially one where the idea was essentially plucked out of thin air through a group brainstorming session. When I started this process, I saw writing as a fairly linear endeavor. Sort of like making your way down a long, straight hallway. A real point A to point B situation. But I now know you're constantly going back and forth, left and right, and often in circles. Constantly reevaluating what you've already established in the glare of what you've just figured out. More of a dungeon maze than a hallway. And how did we do on the science fiction front? Did we write a proper, earnest sci-fi? I think so. When we started, I had two Ray Bradbury quotes saved on my computer that I shared with Mark and Maddie. And they are, Science fiction is any idea that occurs in the head and doesn't exist yet, but soon will. And will change everything for everybody and nothing will ever be the same again. As soon as you have an idea that changes some small part of the world, you are writing science fiction. Will nothing ever be the same again after the world hears our script for progeny? Eh, probably not. But I don't know if I care. I'm just glad we did it. But the other Bradbury quote speaks to this. I have never listened to anyone who criticized my taste in space travel, sideshows, or gorillas. When this occurs, I pack up my dinosaurs and leave the room. Now it's finally time. The moment you've all been waiting for. We're ready to share episode one of Progeny.
4: This is Progeny. Our lifeboat, our world, our everything.
1: That's next time on Let's Make a Sci-Fi. Let's make a sci-fi. as a production of Kelly and Kelly and CBC Podcasts. Hosted by Maddie Kelly, Mark Chavez, and Ryan Beal, and created by Kelly and Kelly with development from Ryan Beal. This episode is written and produced by Dave Shimka, Chris Kelly, and Max Collins. Jeff Turner is the senior producer, and Arif Nurani is the director of CBC Podcasts. Our theme song is by Chris Kelly. Special thanks to Paul Bay and Carrie Appleyard.